morning. My microphone's not on. Yes, it is. Great to see you. It's wonderful to be here this morning to worship and to praise our God. We want to um, take just a moment also to thank uh, Brother James for his work in being here. J- Brother James had one of the most difficult jobs um, because uh, his job, we you know, we tasked him to pick up all the soccer balls that were in all the pews, uh, to, you know, and they had painted faces on them and all that kind of stuff, but... We're thankful. We're very thankful to be able to be here and uh, for all of you that are here today and uh, for our opportunity to worship God. And for those who are worshiping still at home, we praise God for you being here uh, with us uh, in spirit. And God is God is good, isn't he? God is good. Let's go to our God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being so kind to us and for blessing us in every way. For allowing us, Lord God, to have uh, this opportunity to assemble, to worship you. To worship you, Lord God, via online as well as in presence. We pray, Lord God, that you will bless our minds and keep our focus holy and true and pure. Focused only on you and on your word, your will, and your way. Help us, Lord God, to honor you in all that we say and do. And help us, please, remember Jesus and never forget that amazing sacrifice that has been made uh, in our behalf that we might be saved. Please bless us this morning as we worship uh, you and look into your word Please open our ears and eyes to understanding and guide us as only you can. In Jesus' holy and precious name we do pray and thank thee if it be thy will. Amen. Revelation, please. Chapter 4 is where we're going this morning. The book in heaven. Uh, John. John sees uh, heaven arrayed as a courtroom. And uh, he grants the readers uh, this opportunity to be in the heavenly presence. To gain a heavenly perspective. So they understand what it's like to go before a throne. But now God is preparing uh, to unleash his wrath on the world, on the inhabitants of the earth. And uh, praise and and glory are given to God, acknowledging his right to judge the earth, that God will do the right thing. So Revelation chapter 4, we pick up in verse 4 again, just for um, a review, because we want to remember this court scene that we're, we're seeing. Verse 4 says, And around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had the face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was as a flying eagle. And the four creatures, the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, Holy Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. And so we want to be remember and reminded of this, this scene that in heaven, Jesus Christ is the center of all attention. Jesus Christ is the reason, if you will. And God, who is on his throne, is holding in chapter 5 this unusual, mysterious, and critical book. And he has it in his hand. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. 
And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. Notice it's not sealed with one seal, but with seven seals. And the ancients who, if you will, wrote on a scroll, uh, they never, they usually didn't write on the front and the back. But in this text, there's so much that God is saying to the world. There's so much in this judgment to come that there's writing on the front and there's writing on the back. And it's sealed. And the seal has seven seals. And inside of this book, this scroll, contains the very will of God. That's really important. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 2, please. It's really important because the church, remember, in context, the church is being persecuted by the Romans. The church is going through a lot of of havoc and difficulties. And they've been praying to God and saying to God, God, when are you going to protect us or save us or watch over us or whatever their prayers may have been? And God has the answer to their prayers in his hand. And it's sealed. And it's just like the destiny of Judah, if you will. In the hand of Ezekiel there, or in the mouth of Ezekiel, was given a book. God gave him a book, and God gave him a scroll. And on that scroll, there were words written on it. And I want to pick up in verse uh, verse 8 of Ezekiel chapter 2. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. And when he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back. And written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. And then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, Feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with them my words. So hear these words. The words of God are coming out. They're in this book. They're in this scroll. In Ezekiel's case, Ezekiel was holding the immediate destiny of Judah. And now in the hand of God is the immediate destiny of the church. That's what was on that scroll. Turn back to Revelation chapter 5. It contains the immediate information from God about what God is planning to do against this, this onslaught of wickedness and evil. And they were both complete. And the writings, there was nothing you can add to it. And there was nothing that could be taken from it. But this one is completely and totally sealed. And it has the divine information. Now, if you will, verse 2, Revelation chapter 5. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to, to open the book or to look into it. Who's worthy? So remember chapter 4, and we'll go back there in just a moment, but they was, God said, I'm going to show you what's going to happen. 
And now we're in, we're in chapter 5 and, and he has the information and yet, yet no one is worthy to open the book. And they searched heaven and they searched hell beneath and in between and they could find no one who was worthy to take the book. There, now imagine this for just a moment. There, there was no saint in heaven, not Abraham, not Moses, not David, not Ezekiel. There was no saint in heaven, not even Paul. They looked to the heavenly realm, not Gabriel, not Michael the archangel or any of the other angels, the strong angel. None of the angelic hosts of heaven were found worthy to open that book. No one living, searching the earth, trying to see who might be on earth. No king, no president, no ruler, no billionaire, no politician. No scientist, no preacher, no prophet, no one was worthy to open the book. And then they searched in hell. And there was no one in hell worthy, no demon, no doomed sinner, not even old Satan himself. No one was worthy. And not only were they not worthy to read what was on the book, they weren't worthy to approach the throne of God to receive the book. They searched high. And lo, and there was no one. I want you to think about that for just a moment. You see, because when we think about religion and the relationship with the Lord, some of us take it very seriously, and others, maybe not so much. You gotta recognize, brethren, there is no way that we can be saved without Jesus. There is no way that we can be saved without Jesus. And in Revelation 5 and verse 4, you find that John, it says, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And what did John say? John said, I'm amongst you as those who are suffering in this persecution. And we are suffering here on earth, Lord. And God has the book. And God has the answer, and yet there is no one worthy to open the book. That means for us the persecution goes on. That means for us there's no way for us to be delivered out of this. And the churches of Christ will continue to suffer and suffer and suffer if there's no one worthy to open up this book. There's no answer. The strong angel challenges the immediate hearers, and he says, who is worthy to take this scroll? And here's the issue. The issue is this. Humanity, the created, creation, we are utterly incapable of deciding or affecting our own destiny. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, we like to think we're in control, but we are utterly incapable of deciding or affecting our destiny. There must be someone who is outside of the created to affect the destiny of the world. In other words, without Jesus Christ, regardless of what we do or what we have done, we could not save ourselves. So chapter 4 and verse 1, a review. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of the trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you 
what must take place after these things. And John remembers that. And he's weeping. Because God, you said that you're going to show me. It's almost like it's over. Like, like there's no one worthy. So if there's no one worthy, then, then what? What next? And in verse 5 of chapter 5, it's like the angel comes along and throws John a few tissues and says to him, one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome and so as rather to open the book and its seven seals. Why are you crying? Genesis 49, please. And, it, and it's almost like, you know, let me, if I could, some of us are crying. You know, we're crying about everything that's going on in our lives right now. God says, why are you crying? I'm in charge. It's going to be all right. Some of us don't believe that. Some of us don't believe that everything is going to be all right. Not because of us. Not because of our greatness. Not because of how intelligent we are. But because we serve a great and mighty God. And John is weeping and weeping. And God has the answer. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the lion of the tribe of Judah. By the way, that messianic uh, title takes us back to Genesis chapter 49. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 9, if you will. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, he dare, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. And Shiloh is Jesus Christ. So God goes way back. He predates the law of Moses, way back before the law of Moses, to bring us back to the foundation and says, Oh, there's someone who is worthy. And back to Revelation, please, chapter 5. Looking at this throne, I want you to remember uh, from last week's lesson, the beauty and the majesty of this throne. I want you to remember how powerful this throne was. The fact that the image was so bright that, you know, one could barely look at the image and its brightness. And you can imagine approaching this throne with, with humility. And in Revelation 5, again in verse 5, the Bible says, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. So imagine for just a moment. God has this book. And in between, maybe the Godhead, if you will, the throne. Father and the Holy Spirit. And you look and you can, you see brightness, but then out of, out of nowhere, you, you, you get a glimpse and there's 
the lion is coming. But the lion looks like or has the appearance of a lamb. And the lamb appears to be slain. And the lion, which has the appearance of a lamb, is not by himself. Remember those angels with the six wings? He has the angels with him. And he has the 24 elders with him. And he comes between the throne of God. And he is the one who's worthy. And brethren, if, if we can't find the ability to say thank you to God for that, Jesus is alive. Right? And so see, see, it was all about the empty tomb. But no, no, the tomb was empty because they could not allow Hades or his body to descend to Hades or to decay for Jesus lives. And Satan and the world, the Romans and the Sanhedrin, they thought to themselves, oh, we took away our threat. But you remember back in Genesis 3 verse 15, where the Bible in essence says, you shall bruise his heel, but Jesus is going to crush Satan's head. And Jesus is alive and well. And when you see Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1, please. When you see Jesus, you see what God has been trying to tell us from the very beginning of time. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. That the Lamb is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. The Lamb appears as slain. But no, when you see Jesus in Hebrews 1 and verse 1, God, if he spoke long ago, to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. God has been trying to tell. Do you think they would have crucified Jesus if they had just understood? Yeah, they would have. Because people didn't like him. They didn't like the fact that he was good and that he was doing the right thing. They didn't like him. But God says this. The reason why Jesus Christ is slain was not to elevate mankind, back to Hebrew, uh, Revelation chapter 5, in the sense that man could be proud of himself, but rather to save the souls of humanity. And so Jesus, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 7, who is worthy, and he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Mark chapter 11, please. He took that book. And that book that has the immediate destiny of the church is in his hands. And the created began to worship Jesus. And the Bible says something about incense. 
and the prayers of the saints. Meaning that God wants his listeners, his readers to know that I heard you, I hear you, and I'm listening to you. But but God, I heard you, I hear you, and I'm listening to you. I heard you. I hear you, and I'm listening to you. Brother Levitt, let it never be thought for just a moment that God has not heard us, is not hearing us, and does not listen to us. And from a heavenly perspective, the Bible's trying to give us just this understanding of what Jesus said back in Mark 11 and verse 24, what he said to the saints in prayer, he says to them in prayer, therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. It's already done. Right? Isn't that great? Turn back to Revelation, please, chapter 5. It's already done. Rome, don't worry about Rome. It's already done. Uh, The Sanhedrin, don't worry about them. It's already done. God is in complete and total control. Those big angels, you know, the scary ones with the six wings and the four heads. I mean, I just can't get that out of my head. It's my revelation. I start thinking about those angels and that, I think that helps with reverence. They're down bowing. Worshipping Jesus, the Lamb that has the appearance of being slain. And in verse 9, in verse 9, the text says, And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God. With thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. It's done. Tur- turn back to Daniel. Backwards to Daniel chapter 7. Through that, through that, those trials and, and, and through the struggles in the book of Daniel. And yet, God was telling them back in Daniel, it's done. Because God wants the reader God wants the child of God to reach our minds back to what God has already taught us, that He is in complete and total control. I'm going to say that over and over again until we get it, right? Revelation chapter 5 and then chapter 6 and then chapter... We're going to say that a lot until we get it because we have to get that to truly grasp an understanding of what the book is trying to reveal to us. The kingdom is already purchased. Back in 605, before the world began, in the mind of God from the days of eternity, it was already done. So Daniel 7, verse 13 and verse 14. And I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days, that's the father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That's the church of Christ. That all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. You see, it looked as though, it appeared as though, back to Revelation, please, chapter 4, it appeared as though the kingdom was being destroyed. I mean, it felt like the kingdom was being destroyed because Rome was powerful, right? Rome was powerful. And Rome inflicted upon the Christians amazing persecutions. And yet God said, I'm in complete control, right? It didn't feel like it. But brethren, we can't live our life based on what it feels like. We've got to base our lives based on what the facts reveal to us. And God has been telling the same old story over and over and over and over and over again. From Genesis to Revelation, he's telling us the same old story over and over and over and over and over again. Revelation 4, verse verse 9. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. Chapter 5, verse 11. And I looked in heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings And every created thing which was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessings and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Brethren, if you read nothing else in the Bible but that over and over and over again, it'll sink into our heads that God is not only worthy, but God is in control. Psalm 148. Psalm 148. We'll begin to wrap this, this lesson up. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has unsearchable riches. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God, to Him belong all glory, all riches, all honor, all power. God receives everything from us. He has to receive everything from our hearts. In verse 7, the Bible says, Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and deeps, all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, 
stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and all winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and judges of the earth, princes and all judges of the earth. Everybody, everyone, everything, both young men, young men, Young men, young women, old men, old women, everybody, everything, and virgins, old men, old men, and children too. Everything, everyone, everywhere. Somewhere in our brains we got this idea that, you know, well, our children, they they have to know. Children too. Everyone must honor God. Verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above all the earth and heaven, and he has lifted up a horn for his people. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, all people near to him. Praise the Lord. Somewhere in our minds, our young folks haven't gotten that one. And they walk away from the church when they grow up and get their own brains. Our old folks have walked away from the Lord. Church, what's going on? Where's the praise and the honor that is due His name? For all men, for all women, for all children, for young teenagers, for everyone, for everything. God has been trying to tell us the same message over and over and over and over and over again. And then I'll ask, as we close, to turn to Ephesians, Ephesians, please, chapter, chapter 1. This is the message that God has been teaching all along, that Jesus is. And Jesus is the Almighty. And He is to be honored because of who He is. And because His name is above all names. And all glory, and all honor, and all dominion go to Him. And I'll tell you something else. Every spiritual blessing that you prayed for, that I prayed for, every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing that we desire is found because of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 3. There the Bible reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. With a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, 
the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In Him also we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end, that we who are first to hope in Christ should be to the praise and His glory, or of His glory. Can you believe they use the name of Jesus in vain? Because they haven't figured it out. Can you believe that Christians would use the name of Jesus in vain? Because you haven't figured it out. You see, and God's been telling us the same story over and over and over and over again. Where is God in your heart today? Is he lifted high? And do you seek to attain that blessing? To be lifted high with him one day. And not only to be lifted high with him one day. But to honor him in this life. And to stand with him separate and opposed to the world that lives in ungodliness and wickedness. Because of the greatness of our God. God hears us. Has heard us. And is listening to us. This morning the question now goes in reverse. Do we hear him? Have we heard him? And are we listening to him? The lesson is yours this morning. If there is something on your heart and you'd like to make it known to the brethren, we can pray with you, pray for you if you are struggling. If you're not a child of God, we encourage you to become one and surrender to God in the waters of baptism. To give your life to him after having heard his word and believed it and repented. Have godly sorrow in your heart. To confess his name before men and be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And then to walk with Jesus from this day forward. And you know, Jesus is still saving people, even in this pandemic. And we thank God this morning. I, I didn't uh, point him out, but I want to point out to you quickly uh, in closing. Our brother Monty, our new brother Monty. Monty, raise your hand. Monty's sitting there with uh, in, in blue. There he is. Praise God that Monty's here. God is still saving people. The message hasn't changed. It's the same message from today, and it will be the same message until we leave this earth. God is still saving people. If we can help in any way, please, as we stand and sing our song of invitation, why don't you come today? at Calvary. In mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden